Welcome to Cure Chronic, a place where we have deep conversations and hear amazing stories about chronic disease and more. Here's your host, Becky Gale. All right, and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm super excited to announce someone from around the world, from me in Australia. This is Hannah. Hannah, why don't you go ahead and tell us your story? Yeah, I'm from, well, from England, as you can probably tell, but live in lovely Australia. I had to get away into the sun, which is amazing. Um, for the past 15 years now, um, I've been suffering with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, or EDS. And for me, it's slightly different. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of the term, you know, hypermobility. People are extra stretchy in their joints. And my hypermobility is actually internal. So with EDS, it's a collagen disorder. So there's an overproduction of collagen. And for me, this is all in my gut. So everything is extra stretchy. My stomach is extra stretchy, so it doesn't empty. My guts are extra stretchy, so it doesn't digest food properly. And over the last 15 years, I'm sure as many people with gut issues kind of can relate to, it's a long old process to get diagnosed because there's so many things it could be. IBS, you know, constipation, food intolerance. So I went through literally the whole system. I was back in England going through the NHS, getting passed from doctor to doctor and kind of going through this journey because I was finding diagnosis so impossible. I actually also developed an eating disorder as well on top of that. So for about 10 years, I was struggling with both, struggling with my digestion, trying to get diagnosis and also trying to get on top of my eating and this eating disorder, which developed as a result of all the physical symptoms. But in the end, I was really lucky enough to find a really great team in London who finally said, okay, are you hypermobile? I did the nine step test. And back then it was quite a new finding that this hypermobility could be linked to your gut as well. So back then it was fairly new and not many people have heard of it, but I was like, oh my God, some, someone's given me some answers finally after all this time of being told it's in my head and people don't believe me and it's stress related and it's what I'm eating and it's to do with my eating disorder. I finally was able to get that diagnosis. And from there, it, you know, it doesn't make it go away, but at least it gives you some clarity and a bit of reassurance that you know, what people are telling you, no, it isn't in my head. And that was for me, it took a long old time, but in the end we got there, which I'm so grateful for. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what's so frustrating about that is the fact that like, I wonder why people have to just say that it's in your head, you know, because it's not like we're trying to, it's not like we're making pain up. It's not like we're making these symptoms up. It's not like, you know, so for people to go off, whether it's a doctor or if it's friends or family or whoever it is to just say, it's all in your head. It's like, uh, are you in my body? Like, yeah. <laughs> that's so frustrating. I, I've, what I found was that I think when doctors went through all the tests, all the traditional things and they kind of got stuck, that's when for me, it felt like they would go to, Oh, you know, maybe it's in your head. Maybe it's stress when maybe they were feeling frustrated that they didn't know what was going on either. And I got that yeah. time and time again, I'd go to doctors, do the same old tests, get the same old, um, treatment advice. And they'd get on, become unstuck and kind of think, well, you know, there's not much more I could do. Even one doctor told me that, yeah, there's nothing more I can do. And you'd go away from a, an appointment, a treatment session and be like, like, 
where do I go from here? It was, yeah. it is so terrifying. That's how I felt when I came out of those, those appointments. It's like, even these experts can't tell me what's going on. And they're saying, you know, settle down, you're under a lot of stress. And I'm like, well, of course I'm under stress. I'm going through all of this in my body. No one can help me make sense mm -hmm. of it. I'm not being listened to. I'm getting ignored and I'm just being left. And then you have to start all over again go through an, the same thing with another doctor. And that's what I found took the longest. It was like, you go through this process, get to the end, there's no answers. And then you have to start all over again and go through the same thing. And often it's just like history repeating itself. That's how it felt to me anyway. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. And I feel like um, when you get to that end point with that doctor and he's like, or they're like, you know, well, I can't do anything more for you. I don't know what's wrong or, oh, it's all in your head sort of thing. So a couple of things, and I've said this before, I don't think that doctors can handle being wrong sometimes. And this is stereotyping. And so instead of them saying, I don't know, it's just, oh, it's now your fault. You're doing this yeah. to yourself, right? And so, and again, just stereotyping situations basically. But then the second thing is, I don't understand why doctors can't, take your information and then uh, refer you to somebody else and then just give that doctor a brief history. Like, is it really going to take them that X amount of time? Because then when you get referred to another person or when you get, when you have to go to another doctor, it doesn't, it doesn't go through that steps. Those, cause a hundred percent, like that's the reason why we get misdiagnosed for years. It's mm. not because of the fact that um, you know, we're stuff, we're, we're doing this to ourselves or we're not trying. It's because number one, doctor's visits takes, they take forever, you know, oh, you can see your specialist in three weeks. What? Actually six months. Yeah. <laughs> Waiting for that. But then God forbid you have to get a new doctor and then you have to go through the ringer again. And then they're like, oh, well, uh, time's up. We're going to have to just keep doing our history, whatever, for the next three or four visits. Oh, anyways, it's so frustrating. I know how you feel. It's annoying. <laughs> Yeah, but when you do find that doctor who finally listens, yes. it's like the world has just like exploded. I <laughs> that feel, I can't even describe it. You can probably hear it in my voice. It's just like that relief that you relief. get when someone finally is actually mm -hmm. sitting and listening to you. And that's how I felt with this team that I found in London. This doctor didn't have an opinion. He just sat there, listened to me. And he had this look like he was actually thinking about what I was saying. And that was the doctor that actually kind of guided me down this path of EDS and hypermobility. And I still talk to him now, even though I'm in Australia, I'm still in touch with my London team because they were the ones that, that team that finally were able to help me. And like I said, that feeling that you get when you're listened to, that's all we want at the end of the day yeah. is just to be listened to and to be taken seriously. Because yeah. I've said this time and time again in the past and to a lot of people that I talk to is like, you know your body. You know, mm. when there's something not right, you have to go through this every single day and go through all the symptoms and get to know what works for you, what doesn't. And someone that you've met for 10 minutes in a doctor's room, you, you have to, I feel like it's like you have to be a bit more firm in those sessions mm -hmm. and firm in those appointments. But often we go into them feeling so desperate and so out of control and helpless that we can kind of get smothered by some doctors rather than going in and thinking, no, I know what I'm going through. I know how I'm feeling. And I'm going to stick mm -hmm. by it. But obviously over time that, that energy and that determination, of course, it just kind of, it gets destroyed if it goes on for years. And that's, that's basically how I got at the end of it. Absolutely. I know what you feel. I know how you feel in regards to like, as soon as a, 
you get a doctor that listens to you, you're like, oh my gosh, where have you been my whole life? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I just want to give you a hug. So I actually yeah, did give exactly. the doctor a hug. He was yeah, like, he was oh, like, okay. Please don't leave me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, exactly. Even though I'm across the, all the way across the other side of the world, I'm still like, I'm still here. <laughs> still look yeah. after me, even Absolutely. from <laughs> the other side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do you think was the hardest thing that you had to go through maybe before when you were diagnosed? I think, again, it was the fact that I wasn't being listened to. But for me, it was also when I developed the eating disorder as well. So in a way, it's kind of like trying to develop or get diagnosed with two conditions. And with obviously with gut and eating problems, they feed each other. So for me, it was the physical symptoms of the gut, the pain, the bloating, the nausea, the vomiting, that all developed into an eating disorder because food became scary. You know, I didn't know what to eat, how much, everything I did, everything I ate was a massive trigger for me. And obviously all the medications I was trialing, all the laxatives and the side effects, just food became this highly stressful thing. And I didn't know what to, I became really overwhelmed with it. I was like, do I look at the food and the eating disorder or do I focus on my gut and my digestive issues? And my body image was effective. So for me, trying to deal with this whole big thing and it all just became way too much for my head. Um, yeah, the, the, the lack of the diagnosis coupled with the eating disorder, I would say was literally the hardest thing I've went, you know, I've been through. And it took me a good seven years to overcome my eating disorder because of the lack of diagnosis and the lack of like effective treatment for, for my EDS as well. Yeah, it was tough. Absolutely. And, you know, I imagine along the line that you, when you, when you found out that you had an eating disorder along with um, you, whatever you had underneath, like say you didn't have the diagnosis yet, it's like, I'm sure you had a lot of people say to you, well, it's like, Oh, well, maybe if you didn't have an eating disorder, maybe mm. you'd be better. And, and I've been there. So my doctor, I was misdiagnosed for six years. And my doctor, because I had inflammation in my stomach, I would throw up at a, almost after. Come on, Becky. <laughs> 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 after almost every single meal. And, mm. uh, but I, you know, so he would, he sent me to see, see three different psychiatrists because he's like, well, you're bulimic. And I'm like, I'm not making myself sick. Like, I'm not doing this on purpose, you know. But after a while, because you're malnutrition, like your mouth, that's it. Don't worry, I was having I, this whole week, the whole two last two weeks, actually, my brain has just been like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's, what's going, going on. on. Same here. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, you're malnourished. You're being talked to by all these professionals and saying, okay, well, you're bulimic. This is what's happening. Now I'm going to send you to a specialist. And then you start to think it yourself. It's like hypnosis mm. almost, right? It's um, manipulation. So, yeah. you know, especially going what we go through or going what you are going through, it's, it's not only hard, but also psych psychologically, we're dealing with something as well. So you're dealing with your eating disorder, you're eating with, you're dealing with your EDS that you may not know of. And then now you're dealing with all these mental stuff and then people not listening to you. It's like all of the cards are so hard. Yeah. It, yeah, it was really hard and it, it caused me to kind of like pull away from people around me, pull away from my family and my friends because it was just way too much. And I felt like every time 
I would do anything or eat anything. Like my parents would be down my throat, like watching me. Um, I'd have to go out when I was out with my friends and put on this act that everything was okay. And this was like a really exhausting place to be. And over time it was just draining. So I found it so much easier in a way to just pull away. But that in itself has a huge impact on your mental health and your stress levels and your anxiety. And it can't, everything just feeds into each other. And there's kind of no escaping it after a while. Once you're in that really tough place where you just feel like no one's listening to me, I'm on my own, my parents are down my throat, I can't get out, I just don't know what to do. And at one point, I remember this, I was about 24 and I sat on my bed and it was like a Friday evening. And I remember it to this day, I sat there, like I'd been going to work all week, trying to go to the gym, trying to hide like my struggles from my friends, trying to not eat in front of my parents. So I was still living at home. And I remember just like collapsing. You know, when you have that moment where you just kind of hit rock bottom and I just thought like, if this is what life's going to be like, I, I can't do it anymore. And for me, that was, yeah, that was a real kind of turning point. Like I said, I still can remember it to this day. And it was just like, I need to do something. I have to figure this out. But at that point, it was just like exhaustion, you know, get to that rock bottom point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that a lot of people with chronic disease have gotten to that point because of this exact situation, the cycle of like, people aren't listening to me. This is la you know, you just keep going down and down and down and down. And then you stop believing in yourself. And, and then, and then this is where it leads us a hundred percent. Yeah. So what do you think has been the best thing to come from all of this? Well, for me, I was, I was kind of going down a path when I was younger that I wasn't really that passionate about in terms of like school and education. I was quite highly motivated and quite a highly perfectionistic type person. And I would, just try and please people a lot when I was a kid and going through this and getting really sick around 18 19 it kind of like pulled me off track like the path I was going down um, I want to work you know be a businesswoman work in corporate be really successful like but for what and it pulled me off that track whereas at the time I was like oh my god my world is over like this path that I'm on I'm not on anymore but hindsight now looking back it actually guided me to a completely different path in life one which I've now actually trained as a cognitive hypnotherapist and an NLP practitioner and coach and I now spend my work days helping other women also going through food issues emotional issues and like health problems and without me going through all that pain like I never would have been chucked onto this path and that's how I kind of feel it was like a slam off the road that I thought I wanted to go down onto this new path which I'm really grateful for to be honest and like if I hadn't gone through all of this and if I haven't had this diagnosis I would probably still be just in some corporate nine to five just trying to people please and not really that happy so absolutely and you know it's it's amazing how when you get a chronic disease or something drastic like this happens, then it just pushes you onto something that makes you want to help other people mm. in your shoes. Like same thing as what I'm doing right now. It's, I don't want, I don't want people to suffer like I suffered. So what can I do to help these people? You know, yeah. and it's the same thing and it's very rewarding and absolutely nine to five corporate jobs. <laughs> 
no thank you I'm out never go back there ever again I was actually just talking about that with my boyfriend the other day I was like could you imagine if we actually work nine to five Saturday Sundays off that would be awful everything would be busy on your days off like you couldn't get restaurant reservation well you can't now because of COVID but like you know what I mean like (laughs) try to go to a cottage you can't even rent a cottage because of the fact that they're all booked up like no it's like you got a Tuesday Wednesday off or like you make your schedule and it's like Tuesday Wednesday Thursday and everything's quiet you're like this is perfect (laughs) yeah and it gives you that flexibility as well because I have days where I feel really poorly Mm -hmm. and if I was trying to do the usual nine to five it would be very very difficult and I'm one that I hate letting people down I can let myself down by just being ill and but if I was really committed to someone else's business or someone else's life, like, like everyone with a chronic illness, you just have those days where, well, for me, I just can't function. And the yes. next day I'll be fine. So yep. it's working for myself in a way it does allow me to live with this illness and live with it in the best way I possibly can and help manage that because I have that flexibility as well. Because oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. This, this health condition, it's made me have this whole new appreciation for life and it's made me realize how important health is because when I was really poorly when I was back when I was like 19 20 I had like amazing friends and family I was at uni doing really well at school had like a social life but it didn't mean anything and that's what is really really important I was like I had all that stuff and it mean absolutely nothing because of my health so when I have those periods in remission and when I'm having like a good day, oh my God, I literally like do everything I possibly can <laughs> embrace it fully because yeah, for me, health is just paramount. Everything else is just like secondary. That's how I feel right now with this. Well, absolutely. You know, I think that that's huge because um, I don't know what the, there's a little saying out there about something where you could have millions of dollars in the world, but if you don't have your health, you don't have anything because, mm. you know, you could be a millionaire, but if you're in the hospital all the time, what are you doing? Yeah. And, you know, I think that's huge because there are so many people in the world that surround themselves with like val, like not valuable things and meaningless mm. things and, and things that just look nice, like nice yeah. cars or nice this or nice that. And, you know, they just stress them out, themselves out so much to a point where they make themselves sick. And so I just wonder, especially with mine, mine's an autoimmune disease. I'm not sure. Is EDS an autoimmune disease? No, it's like I genetic. don't think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things that I always thought when I was younger is like, did I make myself sick? Because stress is a huge factor for autoimmune diseases. Yeah. Um, did I make myself sick to get this disease because I was doing too much when I literally when I was a teenager in my early 20s kind of thing. So that's, you know, an interesting thought. But there are so many Mm. people out there that are living sick that are living unhappy. But you know, at least they're making $180,000 a year, I guess. (laughs) So if you can go back in time and tell your younger self something, what would it be? Like I said, at the start, I think it's backing yourself and I wish I'd back myself more. I did at the start, but like I said, over time, you kind of get worn down by it all. Like I knew myself back then. I knew how I was feeling and I knew what I needed from people. And like I said, when I was younger, I had this real perfectionistic mentality and drive. And I found it very difficult to reach out for help initially. Like I was kind of forced to by my health getting so bad to make me reach out and ask for it because 
for some reason I'd learned that reaching out kind of made me weak and I thought I'd be a failure if I actually admitted to the world that there was something going on like I said I put it, you put on this act to everyone that you're okay. And on the inside, you get to the point like where I was on that Friday night and you just can't sustain it. You just hit this rock bottom. That was for me driven by so many years of feeling like I couldn't reach out for help because if I did and people knew what was going on, they would either not like me or think I was a failure or, or I thought I was weak. So looking back at my younger self, I just would want to say to her like, stop burning the candle from all ends like it's you're trying to prove something by being someone that you're not that's how I felt it was back then and the reality was all I did was I was playing this role of somebody else and in the end I ended up coming off so much worse and even further away from getting better and further away and in the end I had to let, let it all out anyway but I made my journey so difficult along the way. Years and years and years of being in this mentality that I just want to say to her, like, look, it doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you, like, a failure. If you reach out, you're going through something and you know your body, you know what you need, so you have to ask for it. Because exactly like you, I, my mentality now when I help people is, like, I don't want you to suffer for as long as I did. There is something you can do. And, but I think we're kind of brought up in society to try and hide things, you know, try and hide how we're really feeling and not speak up and put on this app that we're all okay. But it doesn't work out that way. You can't keep living that way. It will come back and bite you in the ass like it did with me when I was sat on that bed on a Friday night and thought, this is, this is it. I can't keep doing this. Absolutely. And it's really funny because I keep running into the same type of personalities on my podcast. It's that type A personality where we mm -hmm. have to people please, we have to do everything for everybody else. We have to just forget about how we're feeling and make sure that everybody else is feeling good first. It's like, you know, put your mask on first before helping other people. It's like, no, we're going to put every single other person on this plane's mask <laughs> yeah. on and then ours. <laughs> That's how we work. And so it's one of those things where it's like, it's like, it's like our bodies are just like, you know what? you need to slow down and, and it's like throwing us these triggers and these, these signs and this and that. And until finally it's like, okay, fine. You don't want to mm. stop. Well, here's the disease. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. Well, that's how my body did. It was giving me these little signs years and years mm -hmm. over time. And I was like, no, I'm fine. No, I can't, yes. I can't give it into this. No, I've got to show the world that I'm fine. And then it literally was like, had to give me the biggest sign by like knocking me off my feet to get me to wake <laughs> up and say, look love you're not okay and you've got to do something about this but yes and that's sometimes it and the unfortunate thing is that sometimes that makes that real significant thing to make people wake up mm -hmm. too often that's why i find yeah. too often it takes something really traumatic and significant for them to go fine okay like i give in i'm going to start listening to what's actually going on and how i'm feeling which is is not yeah. always the best way Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's like, why do we get to that point? You know, we, we forget about how we're feeling and, and what you were saying about how asking for help, it's like, people are afraid to be vulnerable because people think it's a sign of weakness when it's not, it's, it's actually a sign of strength to be able to talk about your weaknesses and what you're going through and how you're feeling. And, you know, being able to say to people, it's like, okay, well, you know, I'm not feeling good. I'm I have this X, Y, Z going through my body and whatever. So but being vulnerable and being open and being and talking to people about what we're going through is what makes us better 
as like a population as a whole, let alone chronic disease, like as, yeah. as a human being, you bottle stuff up and it's just going to hurt you at the, in the end, really. Yeah. Like I said, it comes back to bite you. And mm-hmm. actually when you do open up and you share, whatever you're fearing, what I've found is not, doesn't actually pan out. <laughs> whatever you're scared is going to happen. You share and you open up and you ask for help. And it's like this weight, been lifted it's it's a weird you can finally like breathe again because i used to get so anxious yes. and so heavy like this feeling in my chest like i was suffocated mm-hmm. and the fear of like oh my god if i actually let this out then what's going to happen and all this fear of judgment and the reality was that did not happen at all but the benefits was this feeling the suffocation went and that was a very that's like an amazing thing to happen you can finally like breathe and that's when you can start to get clarity in what is actually going on it's like offloading, just sharing the weight. And that's what's really important. When you're going through something chronic, you can't take it all on your own shoulders. And I've learned this now. And this is something, if I'm honest, I still struggle with. I still take it on my shoulders. And my partner's always like, look, you need to talk to me more. You need to tell me how you're feeling. And I'm still like, no, no, I can't share everything. But again, it gets to that point where I like, on a Friday night, I have another emotional breakdown. And he's like, look, you've been through this week. You should have told me how you're feeling on Tuesday. (laughs) So it is kind of like still like a learning experience because I get it. You know, people around you do a hell of a lot. And for me, I feel like my partner supports me in every single way possible. And sometimes you just feel like, I just want to give you a bit of a break. But again, Mm -hmm. if you just take it all on your shoulders again, eventually it's going to really come back again and bite you in the butt. So it's getting that balance and I'm still working that out. If I'm honest, trying to find that balance. Mm -hmm. And I think that takes time and it it honestly takes practice because, you know, for years we had these habits of holding things inside and not talking about them. And I, I'm the same as you. I, it took me years to talk about my emotions and how I was feeling and especially things that bother you. And there's, podcast that I talked to you about earlier, um, there's an episode. So that was Brene Brown unlocking us. Whoever's listening to this, you need to go listen to that podcast as well. It's amazing. So the secondary one, they talk about your identity and they talk about how when you don't voice your concerns and something is bad happening and you just swallow it and it makes your stomach growl, like that awful feeling in your stomach. And you're like, no, this is not right. Well, not number one, you're not jumping on something that makes you feel uncomfortable, which then in turn, number two, actually invalidates your identity as a person. And so you start forgetting who you are, which is crazy. When I heard that, I was like, wow. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so yeah, totally. And when I, when I heard that, it's like, how many, how many young people do we know still to this day that suffer with the inability to talk about their emotions, their feelings, let alone young people, but any person on this planet, you know, men still have that stigma. Oh, if men cry or talk about their feelings, they're not manly enough. That's crap. But you know, so many people still suffer with that and it's practice and it's painful. It is so painful because you're like, I'm so scared of talking about my emotions. (laughs) So yeah, I get it. It sucks. Yeah. It's like this says, it's this fear, but I like what you said about kind of it becoming your identity. And from my work in the cognitive hypnotherapy land, it's like your subconscious looks for what you're thinking, how you're feeling, how you're acting to guide who you are as a person. 
So if you're constantly hot bottling in your emotions, if you're constantly got this like inner dialogue, this weight to you, this inability to express yourself, over time your subconscious is using that as a reference point to guide who you are. And this is eventually like over time, you end up becoming this person. And then you look and you're like, how the hell did I get here? But who is this girl? That's how I got from years of bottling it in and having this inner dialogue. My subconscious literally learned that that was who I was as a person and that guided who I was. And again, it, like you said, it's a practice to shift out of that identity and remove that old, old identity because it's not actually you. It's just like a product of what you've been going through at that time, but it doesn't need to determine who you are right now. It's like delayed representation. And that's why I always try and tell myself, like, I'm not that person back then. I need to start thinking, feeling, behaving in ways which I know are going to serve me best. are going to help me develop into the person I want to be. I'm not based on what I was in the past. It's really important. I, and again, still a reminder, it's a practice that you have to do on a day-to-day -day basis. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. I kind of think about my past, like, you know, here you are as a kid, you have like this nice flat line, this is your identity, blah, 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 blah. And then you get and then you start like working for other people and people pleasing and doing this. And then you start going down, 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 down. Yeah. And you're like, and then, and then you swallow things up and you don't talk about how, and then you don't voice your opinion and da, da, da. So you keep going down, 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 down until you get a disease. And then that's kind of mm -hmm. where you are at the bottom for a really long time. You're like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm going through. I don't know what, 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 blah, blah, blah. And then as you start to realize that this isn't who I am. And you realize that you can change who you are and you can change it through your subconscious and the way that you think, et cetera, et cetera. So you start going back, 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 back up, you know, until you hit a point where maybe you're the same person as you were, or maybe you're actually better than you were. So, um, mm. I think that that's a really important thing to think about, especially for people who are at the bottom right now. Like it doesn't stay at the bottom, it goes up. But the other thing too, is you like... I'm so excited about your hypnosis stuff. Number one, I think that's so cool because I'm super, I'm super into like mind, cognitive, behavioral stuff, whatever. But I think it's so interesting that you can think yourself out of pain. You can think yourself out of like uh, flare-ups. That's actually been proven yeah. for people with Crohn's disease to literally just think that you're healthy and and they get better. This is not every case. This is just kind of like studies that they've they've done. But the interesting thing for me is I've been able to go off medication this year for um, since February, March timeframe. And I've been like on and off since with arthritis, but the arthritis thing was new this year, which was kind of weird. So I thought I was going to have to go back on medication, but then I was like, no, like this is probably just stress and it's probably all just in my head. And so every single day I started doing this very specific type of meditation that helps with your autonomic nervous system. Mm -hmm. And I also started taking these turmeric pills. And guess what? I don't have to take medication. <gasps> so, Maybe. you know, is it the meditation? Is it the turmeric pills? Is it just the fact that my disease is in remission for a little while? Who freaking knows? But you know what? I'm going to go with this. But anyways, what I'm trying to say is you can think yourself out of a lot of things and like knowing that is amazing. Yeah. And yeah, I deal with quite a lot of clients with pain issues and chronic disease because hypnosis is amazing for pain management. And like you said, we don't know why it works, but there is this huge, you know, mind-body connection. And even in the gut, the people come into me with gut problems. And it's best not to try and work, try and understand how it works. But, you know, our mind and body are so related. And I love how you said, like, 
am I just in remission? Is it because of this? Is it because of that? We're so complicated. And when I'm kind of having a good period, I'm like, what have I done? What's different? What have I changed? And the same when you have a bad period, what have I eaten? What have I done? But sometimes you just have to allow these things to happen because fighting them and trying to work it out, sometimes there is no explanation. And I've trying to learn that more and more, you know, over, over the last year or so is like ups and downs, relapses, remissions. I've just kind of got to go with it. Obviously, if there's something blaringly obvious that I can change, I'll do it. But kind of, I've tried to welcome in a bit more flow <laughs> to my life. Yeah. Because otherwise you can spend too much time in your head and get yourself worked up and feeling anxious and trying to work everything out. And our bodies are complicated. And sometimes it can be the, you know, the slightest thing that can knock you a little bit off balance. 100%. I totally agree with that. It's like the ebbs and flows of your disease. Mm, it really is. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's just, I think when you get past that point of almost like controlling and, and needing to know, um, what is it? What caused it this time? This and that, you know, because I was like that with my arthritis and I was like, okay, it's my diet. Like I got to get rid of uh, processed carbs and it wasn't my yeah. diet. And I was like, okay, this is silly. And then I was like, it's stress. It's I don't know, whatever. And then as soon as I was like, well, it's got to be something, it just all of a sudden went away. I was like, are you yeah. kidding me? It's so frustrating. <laughs> so yeah. what do you think has helped you the most up to now with, with your disease? Are you looking at doing anything more drastic in the future or anything? Or? Yeah, I'm, like I said, I'm in a bit of a relapse place at the moment because with my disease, I've developed really, really severe tachyphylaxis, which is tolerance, basically. So the last 10 years, I have tried uh, every single conventional treatment out there. I've been through like every single laxative, every single sort of neurosacral stimulation, so targeting nerves. I've had surgery, I've had like therapy, psychology, and especially with the medication and things like that and the, the stimulation type things. My body loves it for about six weeks and then my gut goes, nah, you know, I know about this now and it's the same pattern every time. And I had this, this treatment, which is called posterior tibial nerve stimulation or PTNS, which is where they put actually an acupuncture needle in your ankle into the tibial nerve and will stimulate it with electricity. And that tibial nerve goes all the way up your leg and supplies your gut. And for six weeks, I went to the toilet every single day, like clockwork. And I just thought, oh my God, like, this is it. Like, I don't have to take anything. I'm going once a day. Like, for me, it's the simple things. All I want to do is go to the toilet once a day. <laughs> I'm not asking for much, but because I struggle with the constipation side of things. But that lasted for six weeks. And then gradually my gut was like, nah, I'm not going to bother anymore. I know this. So that's where I'm at the moment. It's the case of, I've kind of tried everything conventional out there. And I had actually one of those calls with my consultant last week and he went through all the stages that I'd been through, taught me through them and was like, we've got extreme options now, like removing a bit of your bowel or even having like a colostomy bag or something. But given my age, I don't want to do that. So I'm kind of at a point now where I'm like, well, what, what do I do? And for me, diet has been literally the only thing I can possibly hang on to. And I follow like a strict low FODMAP diet, which is obviously the diet which you eat certain foods that produce certain sugars, which aren't as bloating in your gut than others. And I've been on this diet for probably about eight years. And 
again, this was a process in itself of anyone else is trying to figure out what diet they eat and what foods they can and can't eat. I've literally got it down to a T now of exactly what triggers me, exactly what doesn't, and even down to like quantity. So for example, I can have like a small banana and be fine, but a medium one, I bloat up like a balloon. It's, it's really individualized, but yeah, I'm kind of at this crossroads right now. I'm like, do I try more like alternative therapies, go down the more spiritual road, or do I go down the surgery road? Because I'm kind of, unfortunately, I've got to the end of what most doctors can, can provide or offer. And the last couple of weeks, I've been trying to deal with that and kind of come to terms with the fact that I've either got to try and just settle everything down, find a way of getting remission, or I go extreme. And at the moment, I'm in two minds, if I'm honest. Um, so it's a little bit of a difficult period, like I said. But again, I could just be in a bad patch. And in a couple of months, I come out of it. So I just need to take the time now and kind of just reassess in a couple of months, see if things settle down. But yeah, the only thing that has stuck with me throughout everything has been my diet, to be honest. And yeah, because of this tolerance, this tachyphylaxis, it's unlikely that I'm going to be able to find like my thing. <laughs> I've been hoping for so many years to find that treatment that helps, but that, that I don't think I'm ever going to find that. And that is a, like a, a mental process in itself coming to terms with it. And it's hard. Like the last couple of weeks have been really hard. Um, but for me, for my partner, and again, just coming to the terms that I'm actually kind of at the end of the road um, of what most people can ha- help me with. But Everyone says what we know now compared to 10 years ago is we're hell of a lot further. So it doesn't mean that there's nothing going to come up in the future. It just means right now I've got to be very careful like for what I choose. I don't want to go down the extreme road and make myself worse off in the future. Given, given my age, I would still think I'm quite young (laughs) to be able to be doing that. Um, But yeah, it's again, you go through these patches and I've just got to see what, what I can do right now. To be honest, it's, it's a difficult one. Absolutely. And it's, it's so frustrating when you're, when you know that you're at the end and when you know that, you know, what do you, what do you do next? But I think the one thing is there's billions of people on this planet. So I hope that you get connected with someone that says, Hey, you should try this. And it works Mm -hmm. for now. The other thing that's really frustrating with your bodies is the fact that your body is literally constantly changing. It stays the same for a little while, but you know what treatment works now, seven to 10 years from now is probably not going to work for whatever reason. Your body just says, no, I'm good. Like, I don't want to do this anymore or whatever it is. And so, you know, I just hope that in time you're able to figure out maybe a a better diet or more better, I don't know, whatever that helps with Mm. the EDS more, or maybe something that helps with the collagen or something like that to just, you know, maybe reduce it. But fingers crossed anyways, that someone maybe hears this podcast or finds you on Instagram or finds you somewhere and says, Hey, I have, I have something for you. Or maybe like five people would be great. (laughs) Yeah. And I always say to people like other people are struggling with gut. I'm like, Hey, look, talk to me. I have been through literally everything and anything you can possibly talk about. And with guts, you know, people are a bit, um, 
reluctant to talk about it because it's not the nicest thing. And I'm like, hell, like seriously, like it's just bowel <laughs> central in my house. We've got no shame about bowels or toilets or anything, you know, yep. the amounts of conversations. And I always tell people like, please just reach out because what you're going through, I've likely tried something that you can try. And in turn, like you said, you reach out to all the other people out there and you may stumble across something. Like you said, being connected is really important because you can feel yeah. so isolated. That's been kind of like number one thing for me is like, especially when I moved to Australia and trying to start again, finding a new doctor and everything. I've really relied on like these, you know, support groups and Facebook groups. So when I'm having a tough time, like, hey, I'm going through this. Has anyone else come across this? Or I've got this weird symptom today. Like, what, what is it? And like, like you said, people just say, oh yeah, I've had this before. And it gives you a bit of reassurance and advice to kind of when you're in that place of like oh this is new like, I don't know yeah. what's going on here is this EDS or is it not and yeah everyone's been through something so there's always someone who'd be who's like yeah you know that's happened to me it's okay mm -hmm. yeah and you know what it's that validation too like when you're just like am I making this up and then you go and post it somewhere or you talk to someone and it's like oh yeah I've been through that you know just do xyz that worked for me whatever yeah <laughs> you'll get through it you know, I think that that's so important to have a connect, to have a community of people that you know that have the disease. It's great to have friends and family that are supportive and that love you and that sort of thing. But it's so nice to have people that yeah. totally understand it because you can be like, hey, this happened today. This is how graphic and whatever it is that mm -hmm. I'm going through. I have Crohn's disease, so I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> and, and then someone out there is just like, oh yeah, that happened to me too. But it was like this and it was even worse, <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, that's the thing on these groups. It, it does make me appreciate because there's so many people struggling and much worse off. I'm so lucky that it only affects me in the way that it does in my gut and I don't have all the other systemic things. So when I, you know, do reach out, I'm like, oh my God, like I am, it's a bit of saving grace that I'm still able to work. I'm still able to exercise and all these other things, which... You know, when you're in like a real bad place, you kind of take for granted. And then I, when I have a little reach out and share and connect and I'm like, I can still work. I've got my own business. I can still exercise. Like there's so much stuff that is good. And I'm, I'm privileged and lucky that I'm just dealing with this. I've got a, I've got a chronic illness that's not going to change, but I am one of the luckier ones with EDS because it can just affect so many other things. So I'm really mm. grateful for that, to be honest. I think that type of like, that's called comparative suffering, but it's, it, it grounds us sometimes. Yeah. It's not, sometimes it's a bad thing because you can take it negative or like you can portray it negatively. But for me, you know, especially doing this podcast, it's like, I've heard stories that literally break my heart. And for me, it's like, okay, like, I got to check myself because if I'm going to complain about having arthritis one day, it's like, at least I can walk. At least I can get up in the morning. Yeah, at least I exactly. can do X, Y, Z sort of thing. And it's like being grateful. I actually just did a post on this the other day. Um, but being grateful for the things that you can do because yeah. there are people that can't walk. There are people that can't move. There are people that X, you know, whatever it is. And so for anybody out there that's suffering, that's, you know, it's like, be grateful for the little things around you. It's like, I'm super grateful for my dog because he's awesome and he keeps me happy all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it How is, old's your it puppy, by the way? Oh, 11 weeks. Oh my gosh, you got <laughs> a COVID new. puppy. That's so cute. It is, amongst what the kind of million of other people. Um, <laughs> he's, he's a cattle cross. 
we adopted him so cattle cross maybe staffy we think but yeah he's full-on but it's again it's like a little bit of injection something that grounds you gets Mm -hmm. you out walking like I had a dog back in England and I missed it so (laughs) I was like now's the time like I need a therapy dog (laughs) to keep myself sane (laughs) Um, yeah like you said it is kind of the little daily reminders Mm -hmm. the things you can do and I have to do that so consciously at the moment like you know when you're going for a real bad patch and I get these like overwhelming feelings of like hopelessness especially after that appointment with that doctor of like I get so upset when I feel hopeless that's the worst thing for me personally is like if I knew what to do I would bloody do it down to a t I would do x y and z and do it to the best of my ability obviously (laughs) given my personality but when I'm like I don't I just don't know how how do I help myself and if it's I, I, the answer is I don't know that's where I get really emotional um but that's just something I have to try and work through on my own um and just like you say what are the little things that I can still do yeah and what are the little things that are still good in my life and try and focus on those and kind of pull myself out but that's where I need my boyfriend and my family to like go mm-hmm. hey look, look at all this other stuff and mm-hmm. there's actually this you can do and this and this and like lift me up Sorry, mm-hmm. that's my dog. <laughs> Speaking of, Speaking yeah, of, he's woken up. And I feel like being out of control, and and it just doesn't help that help. It, it just makes that helplessness worse. And and I know how you feel. Like I just, you know, you want to be able to get up in your day, and this is what I'm going to do, and it's going to be perfect, you know. But you can't do that sometimes, and it's just yeah. being able to let that feeling go, and being able to say, it's okay to be out of control just take it day by day kind of thing that's what I do anyways so yeah that's so important day by day especially when you're having like a bad run it's literally if you try and go off in the future for anxiety stress no 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 oh, yeah. just literally 100%. sometimes I just like hour by hour when I have a real real bad time hour by hour yeah that's all that's all I can do yeah. to kind of bring it back and then your Netflix is your best friend <laughs> yeah and my hot water bottle yes exactly <laughs> Awesome. Well, could you give any of our listeners a bit more advice for their struggles? I would say it's definitely a case of like everybody's unique. There's no one size fits all. And being through what I've been through and the amount of doctors that would immediately try and label you and put you in a box like IBS, et cetera, stress, anxiety. It comes back to like, you know, your body and you know what you need, like deep down amongst all the confusion, you know what you need. And it may be the case of you, you just don't, you, there's not just one doctor that can help you, especially for chronic illness. You may need like a little team. And I was trying to look for that one doctor, that one treatment, that one person um, to help me. And what I've realized is now you need to kind of build like a system, <laughs> like a support system and not necessarily try and find that one person because that that may not work for you. You may need someone to do one side, the food side, the gut, the medication, the alternative, the mindset, the psychology. That system is so important. Like, and that's why I've been really trying to like, establish since I moved to Australia is that system. I'm not with my family anymore. I'm not with my friends. So who can I bring into my circle to help me cope with this? There's not just one person. And like I said to my partner, I'm like, look, this isn't all on you. We've got to find a way of like building this team around me to help me just be able to live life as best I could. So that's what I would really like suggest is, you know, you've got so much going on. 
mind, body, life, everything, but you need just a little support system and that's okay. It's actually okay to need more than one person and to be okay with that. And that took me a long time to understand that it's okay to ask for help and also to ask for help from multiple people. But when you get that help and you have those different avenues, it makes your life a million times easier. Not, not necessarily better all the time, but easier. That's what I found. Absolutely. I think that's so important. And I think that goes for a medical team, but also like your support system around you as well. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for your time and your advice. How can our listeners get in touch with you? So my main social media account is on Instagram. So it's Hanny underscore living underscore unleashed. And through there, you can kind of get connected to my Facebook group. Or if you want to hear a bit more about the cognitive hypnotherapy and how this can help deal a lot, like I said, with like pain issues, anxiety and stress to really just try and help manage that side of things. So yeah, reach out to me on Instagram and yeah, I'm happy to ask anything bowel related, gut related, any, anything weird and wonderful <laughs> hit me up. I've probably been through it. Absolutely. Perfect. All right, ladies and gentlemen, our lovely listeners, that's all for this episode. And Hannah and I will catch you on the flip side.